We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month, which obviously no pressure, whatever you've got, we are so appreciative to have, but we have awesome gifts for you. If you want a hand-addressed letter from Morgan and Isabeau, maybe with some special woe stickers other merch just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons Welcome back, or welcome for the first time, weird choice, but okay, to the Womance Public Access Read-Along of Pride and Prejudice by Leonard Nimoy. Just kidding. Jane <laughs> <laughs> Austen. Just a little, just a little jape the top of the episode. My name is Morgan, and when I'm not bowling you over with witticisms like that, I'm reading the odd chapters of um, Pride and Prejudice. And my name is Isabeau, and I read the even chapters. Isabeau, last time you read to me chapter 34. Mm-hmm. What the heck happened there? Oh man, Morgan, I know you didn't forget, <laughs> but I'll remind all the listeners, first time and otherwise... Uh, Mr. Darcy declared his ardent love and admiration for one Miss Lizzie Bennet and was soundly rejected. (laughs) Why, you ask, dear listeners? Well, he insulted her rank and took credit for uh, making her sister unhappy by breaking her up from a labradoodle marriage. And uh, he said something contemptuous about Mr. Wickham, and then continued to insult Lizzie about the inferiority of her birth connections and class. Yeah. And then she was like, yo, I could never be prevailed upon to marry you, and you suck. You're not even a gentleman, which I think was hitting Darcy right square in the heart. Mm. He really loves being a gentleman. He didn't like that very much. And he left in a hurry. And then Elizabeth cried for half an hour. She's been crying a lot lately, actually. Just in this one day. Just really. It's a lot of big feelings for Elizabeth. Uh, So before anybody could see. Ladies in their periods. (laughs) Definitely menstruating. (laughs) Uh, Before anyone could catch her. Like her cousin or her former best friend who married her shitty cousin, she went upstairs uh, so they wouldn't see her face. Yeah, they wouldn't know she was sad. What is this? Lizzie Bennett was like, what is this? Portishead's number one hit song? Because I could never be your woman. (laughs) (laughs) Look it up, children. (laughs) With that, chapter 35. Elizabeth awoke the next morning to the same thoughts and meditations which had at length closed her eyes. 
She could not yet recover from the surprise of what had happened. It was impossible to think of anything else, and totally indisposed for employment, she resolved soon after breakfast to indulge herself in air and exercise. Do you think she's trying to meet Mr. Darcy on purpose? Yes or no? I think consciously, no. Subconsciously, absolutely. She was proceeding directly to her favorite walk Mm. when the recollection of Mr. Darcy sometimes coming there stopped her. And instead of entering the park, she turned up the lane, which led her farther away from the turnpike road. The park paling was still the boundary on one side, and she soon passed one of the gates into the ground. After walking two or three times along that part of the lane, she was tempted by the pleasantness of the morning to stop at the gates and look into the park. (laughs) Oh, it was the pleasantness of the morning. The five weeks which she had now passed in Kent had made a great difference in the country. Golly. And every day was adding to the verdure. Love that word. um, Of the early trees. She was on the point of continuing her walk when she caught a glimpse of a gentleman within the sort of grove which edged the park. He was moving that way, and fearful of its being Mr. Darcy, she was directly retreating. But the person who advanced was now near enough to see her, and stepped forward with eagerness, pronounced her name. She had turned her way, but on hearing herself called, though in a voice which proved it to be Mr. Darcy, she moved again towards the gate. He had by that time reached it also, and holding out a letter which she instinctively took, said with a look of haughty composure, "'I have been walking in the grove some time in the hopes of meeting you. Will you do me the honor of reading that letter?' And then, with a slight bow, turned again into the plantation and was soon out of sight. Ooh, mysterious. With no expectation of pleasure, (laughs) with the strongest curiosity, Elizabeth opened the letter and to her still increasing wonder perceived the envelope containing two sheets of letter paper written quite through in a very close hand. That means small type. The envelope itself was likewise full Pursuing her way down along the lane, she began it. It was dated from Rosings at eight o'clock in the morning and was as follows. <laughs> I love that he dates it in the time. <laughs> Dateline, Rosings, 8 a.m. Be not alarmed, madam, on receiving this letter by the apprehension of its containing any repetition of those sentiments or renewal of those offers which were last night so disgusting to you. I write without any intention of paining you or humbling myself by dwelling on wishes, which, for the happiness of both, cannot be too soon forgotten, and the effort which the formation and the perusal of this letter must occasion should have been spared had not my character required it to be written and read. You must, therefore, pardon the freedom with which I demand your attention. Your feelings, I know, will bestow it unwillingly, but I demand it of your justice. Wow. Uh-oh. I feel like he's really turning on the flattery here. Well, he's also got, he's he's numbering things, Isabel. This is not <laughs> someone in a good state of mind. I love it when they like they're like, I'm about to argue at you. Number one. Through three. <laughs> In this <laughs> attack of your character, I will first. <laughs> order. <laughs> and then I Finally. will. Finally. <laughs> 
Two offenses of a very different nature, and by no means of equal magnitude, you last night laid to my charge. The first mentioned was that regardless of the sentiments of either, I had detached Mr. Bingley from your sister, and the other that I had, in defiance of various claims, in defiance of honor and humanity, (laughs) ruined the immediate prosperity and and blasted prospects of Mr. Wickham willfully and wantonly to have thrown off the companion of my youth, the acknowledged favorite of my father, a young man who had scarcely any other dependence than on our patronage, and who had been brought up to expect its exertion, would be a depravity to which the separation of two young persons, whose affection could be the growth of only a few weeks, could bear no comparison." But from the severity of that blame which was last night so liberally bestowed, respecting each circumstance, I shall hope to be in future secured when the following account of my actions and their moment motives have been read. If, in the explanation of them which is due to myself, I am under the necessity of relating feelings which may be offensive to yours, I can only say that I am sorry." The necessity must be obeyed, and farther apology would be absurd. (laughs) I had not been long in Hertfordshire before I saw, in common with others, that Bingley preferred your eldest sister to any other young woman in the country, but it had not, till the evening of the dance at Netherfield, that I had any apprehension of his feeling of serious attachment. I had often seen him in love before. Mean. At that ball, while I had the honor of dancing with you... I was first made acquaintance by Sir William Lucas's accidental information that Bingley's attentions to your sister had given rise to a general expectation of their marriage. He didn't even notice because he liked Lizzie so much. Good. Slip that right in there. (laughs) I love silver linings. He spoke of it as a certain event of which the time alone could be undecided. From that moment, I observed my friend's behavior attentively, and I could then perceive that his partiality for Miss Bennet was beyond what I had ever witnessed in him. Your sister I also watched. Her look and manners were open, cheerful, and engaging as ever, but without any symptom of peculiar regard, and I remained convinced from the evening scrutiny that though she received his attentions with pleasure, she did not invite them by any participation of sentiment." If you have not been mistaken here, I must have been in error. Your superior knowledge of your sister must make the latter probable. If it be so, if I have been misled by such error to inflict pain on her, your resentment has not been unreasonable, but I shall not scruple to assert that the security of your sister's countenance and air was such as might have given the most acute observer a conviction that, however amicable her temper, her heart was not likely to be easily touched. That I was desirous of believing her indifferent is certain. But I will venture to say that my investigations and decisions are not usually influenced by my hopes or fears. I did not believe her to be indifferent because I wished for it. I believed it on impartial conviction, as truly as I wished it in reason. He's being so honest. He said, like, yeah, like, obviously, I didn't want them to be together. (laughs) So surely he's being honest 
and totally self-reflective about everything else, right? Listen, he is just an acute and unbiased observer who deeply wishes that they don't get together. (laughs) He has no bias. He is basically just math, okay? (laughs) Duh. Six foot one inches of math. (laughs) Wait, how tall is he? We like he must have been like five seven or something. Yeah, which is very very tall for the time. I did not believe her to be indifferent because I wished it. (laughs) Although I did. Although I did, I believed it on impartial conviction as truly as I wished it. And reason is the funniest thing in the world. It's so real. Jade Austin is so real for that. God, and also like just evergreen. It's like, why have men not changed? Um, all right, here we go. My objections to the marriage were not merely those, which I last night acknowledged to have required the utmost force of passion to put aside in my own case. The want of connection could not be so great an evil to my friend as to me. <laughs> There were other causes of repugnance, causes which, though still existing and existing to an equal degree in both instances, I had myself endeavored to forget because they were not immediately before me. These causes must be stated, though briefly. (laughs) Must they be stated? Here we go. I wonder if when Jane was reading her drafts, she received the same feedback that I gave last chapter reading. And now she's trying to rectify it. Mm, mm -hmm. These causes must be stated, though briefly. Picture him numbering them off on his fingers. The situation of your mother's family, though objectionable, was nothing in comparison of that total want of propriety so frequently, so almost uniformly betrayed by herself, by your three younger sisters, and occasionally even by your father. Don't mention dad. Pardon me. It pains me to offend you. Does it? But amidst your concern for the defects of your nearest relations and your displeasure at this representation of them, let it give you consolation to consider that to have conducted yourselves so as to avoid any share of the like censure is praise no less generally bestowed on you and your eldest sister (coughs) than it is honorable to the sense and disposition of both. (laughs) I will only say farther. (laughs) Bury it. Just bury yourself. That, That from what passed that evening, my opinion of all parties was confirmed and Every inducement heightened, which could have led me before to preserve my friend from what I esteemed a most unhappy connection. He left Netherfield for London on the day following, as you, I'm certain, remember, with the design of soon returning. The part which I acted is now to be explained. His sister's uneasiness had been equally excited with my own. Our coincidence of feeling was soon discovered, and alike sensible that no time was to be lost in detaching their brother we shortly resolved on joining him directly in london we accordingly went and there i readily engaged in the office of pointing out to my friend the certain evils of such a choice i described and enforced them earnestly but however this remonstrance might have been might have staggered or delayed his determination I do not suppose that it would ultimately have prevented the marriage had it not been seconded by the assurance, which I hesitated not in giving, of your sister's indifference. He had before believed her to return his his affection with sincere, if not equal, regard. Bingley has great natural modesty, with a stronger dependence on my judgment than on his own. Just like us, Isabeau, great natural modesty. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's true. We are very modest. Retiring. Bashful. It's what people like most about us, really. It's our... Uh, That's always feedback we've received. <laughs> it's our humility, honestly. But Bingley has great natural modesty, and with a stronger dependence on my judgment than his own. To convince him, therefore, that he had deceived himself was no very difficult point. Yikes. <laughs> so it was easy to, for me to get him to think your sister didn't like him. To persuade him against returning to Hertfordshire when that conviction had been given was scarcely the work of a moment. I cannot blame myself for having done thus much. There is but one part of my conduct in this whole affair on which I do not reflect with satisfaction. It is that I condescended to adopt the measures of art so far as to conceal from him your sister's being in town. What? Gross. I knew it myself as it was known to Miss Bingley, but her brother is even yet ignorant of it. Not good. That they might have met without ill consequence is perhaps probable, but his regard did not appear to me enough extinguished for him to see her without some danger. Perhaps this concealment, this disguise, was beneath me. It is done, however, and it was done for the best. <clears throat> On this subject, I have nothing more to say. No other apology to offer. You didn't really offer one. <laughs> I know. It's like a Tina Fey apology. <laughs> Tired of apologizing. On this subject, I have nothing more to say. No other apology to offer. If I have wounded your sister's feelings, it was unknowingly done. And though your, the motives which governed me may to you very naturally appear insufficient, I have not yet learned to condemn them. With respect to that other, more weighty accusation of having injured Mr. Wickham, I can only refute it by laying before you the whole of his connection with my family. Of what he has particularly accused me, I am ignorant. But of the truth of what I shall relate, I can summon more than one witness of undoubted veracity. Mr. Wickham is the son of a very respectable man, who had for many years the management of all the Pemberley estates, and whose good conduct in the discharge of his trust naturally inclined my father to be of service to him. And on George Wickham, who was his godson, his kindness was therefore liberally bestowed. My father supported him at school and afterwards at Cambridge, most important assistance as his own father, always poor from the extravagances of his wife, would have been unable to give him a gentleman's education. My father was not only fond of this young man's society, whose manners were always engaging, he had also the highest opinion of him, and hoping the church would be his profession intended to provide for him in it. As for myself, it is many, many years since I first began to think of him in a very different manner. The vicious propensities, the want of principle which he was careful to guard from the knowledge of his best friend, could not escape the observation of a young man of nearly the same age with himself, and who had opportunities of seeing him in unguarded moments, which Mr. Darcy could not have. Here again I shall give you pain. To what degree you only can tell. But whatever may be the sentiments which Mr. Wickham has created— a suspicion of their nature shall not prevent me from unfolding his real character. It adds even another motive. My excellent father died about five years ago, and his attachment to Mr. Wickham was to the last so steady that in his will he particularly recommended it to me to promote his advancement in the best manner that his profession might allow.' 
and if he took orders, desired that a valuable family living might be his as soon as it became vacant. There was also a legacy of 1,000 pounds. His own father did not long survive mine, and within half a year from these events, Mr. Wickham wrote to inform me that, having finally resolved against taking orders, he hoped I should not think it unreasonable for him to expect some more immediate pecuniary advantage in lieu of the preferment by which he could not be benefited. He had some intention, he added, of studying the law, and I must be aware of that the interest of £1,000 would be a very insufficient support therein. I rather wished than believed him to be sincere, but at any rate was perfectly ready to accede to his proposal. I knew that Mr. Wickham ought not to be a clergyman. The business was therefore soon settled. He resigned all claim to assistance in the church, were it possible that he could ever be in a situation to receive it, and accepted in return 3,000 pounds. All connection between us seemed now dissolved. I thought too ill of him to invite him to Pemberley or admit his society in town. In town, I believed he chiefly lived, but his studying the law was a mere pretense, and being now free from all restraint, his life was a life of idleness and dissipation. For about three years, I heard little of him, but on the day decease of the incumbent of the living which he had been which had been designed for him he applied to me again by letter for the presentation his circumstances he assured me and i had no difficulty in believing it were exceedingly bad he had found the law a most unprofitable study and was now absolutely resolved on being ordained if i would present him to the living in question of which he trusted there would be little doubt as he was well assured that I had no other person to provide for, and I could not have forgotten my revered father's intentions. You will hardly blame me for refusing to comply with this entreaty, or for resisting every repetition of it. His resentment was in proportion to the distress of his circumstances, and he was doubtless as violent in his abuse of me to others as in his reproaches to myself. After this period, every appearance of acquaintance was dropped. How he lived, I know not. But last summer, he was again most painfully obtruded on my notice. I must now mention a circumstance which I would wish to forget myself, and which no obligation less than the present should induce me to unfold to any human being. Having said thus much, I feel no doubt of your secrecy. My sister, who is more than ten years my junior, was left to the guardianship of my mother's nephew, Colonel Fitzwilliam, and myself. About a year ago, she was taken from school, and an establishment formed for her in London. And last summer, she went with the lady who presided over it to Ramsgate, and thither also went to Mr. Wickham, undoubtedly by design, for there proved to have been a prior acquaintance between him and Mrs. Young, in whose character we were most unhappily deceived, and by her connivance and aid, he so far recommended himself to Georgiana, whose affectionate heart retained a strong impression of his kindness to her as a child, that she was persuaded to believe herself in love and to consent to an elopement. She was then but fifteen, which must be her excuse, and after stating her imprudence, I am happy to add that I owed the knowledge of it to herself. I joined them unexpectedly a day or two before the intended elopement, and then Georgiana, unable to support the idea of grieving and offending a brother whom she almost looked up to as a father, acknowledged the whole to me. 
You may imagine what I felt and how I reacted. Regard for my sister's credit and feelings prevented any public exposure. But I wrote to Mr. Wickham, who left the place immediately, and Mrs. Young was, of course, removed from her charge. Mr. Wickham's chief object was unquestionably my sister's fortune, which is 30,000 pounds, but I cannot help supposing that the hope of revenging himself on me was a strong inducement. His revenge would have been complete indeed. This, madam, is a faithful narrative of every event in which we have been concerned together, and if you do not absolutely reject it as false, you will, I hope, acquit me henceforth of cruelty toward Mr. Wickham. I know not in what manner under what form of falsehood he has imposed on you, but his success is not, perhaps, to be wondered at. Ignorant as you previously were of everything concerning either, detection could not be in your power, and suspicion certainly not in your inclination. You may possibly wonder why all this was not told to you last night, but I was not then the master enough of myself to know what could or ought to be revealed. For the truth of everything here related, I can appeal more particularly to the testimony of Colonel Fitzwilliam, who from our near relationship and constant intimacy, and still more as one of the executors of my father's will, has been unavoidably acquainted with every particular of these transactions. If your abhorrence of me should make my assertions valueless, you cannot be prevented by the same cause from confiding in my cousin, and there may be the possibility of consulting him. I shall endeavor to find some opportunity of putting this letter in your hands in the course of the morning. I will only add, God bless you, Fitzwilliam Darcy. Hoo-wee! I, I love that she really takes on, like, what would not only be Mr. Darcy's, like, tone and voice, but an upset Mr. Darcy's tone of voice, who is clearly trying to be, like, in control of what's happening. I also love that he's like... Uh, though the thing about, like, his whole preamble, his whole preamble about, like, <clears throat> my father's favorite, the bosom kin of my youth, but, like, you want to talk to me about a few weeks in Hertfordshire with Bingley? Sure. I'll start there. We'll get back to Mr. Wickham. like, oh my <laughs> god, guy. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing letter. It is. I like that it starts out like, yeah, okay, sure, sure. I co-conspired with his sisters to convince him that he didn't want to go to Hertfordshire. And then I convinced him that she didn't even like him. And then I also, like, actively prevented him from knowing that she was in London so that he could find out what was actually going on. Sure. So sue me. (laughs) You know what I didn't do? Mean stuff to Wickham. Yeah, exactly. That's like it. Which is arguably a bigger deal because he was mean to me first. (laughs) And he was my best friend and my dad liked him a lot. And my dad was an excellent Mr. Darcy. Yeah, my most excellent father. Do you think that the text, do you think that Jane Austen, I feel comfortable addressing her directly. Do you think that she thinks she agrees with Darcy's outlining of the stakes Like, these are two totally different situations. Convincing this guy who has been in love many times to not be interested in your sister, who he only knew for two weeks, is not as big a deal as this accusation by Wickham. I don't know that Jane Austen, or J.A., agrees with Darcy's assertion, but I think it's really smart that we get Darcy's assertion that they're totally different. 
and that clues us into both his class thinking, right? The idea that ruining Jane's happiness with Bingley would like after like, you know, their acquaintance of only being a few weeks, like how bad could it really be for Jane? You know what I mean? And that's like kind of his attitude. And we know Mm. because we've spent so much time at Longbourn and we've spent so much time with Mrs. Bennett and we've spent so much time with Jane and Lizzie that like this is truly life and death. Yeah. And Darcy doesn't get it. And I think like this letter is further evidence of that. There's even a line that I like if I were writing a dissertation, I would have highlighted as like the line. Because it's it's clear, yeah, when he says, like, on this subject, I have nothing more to say, no other apology to offer. If I've wounded your sister's feelings, it was unknowingly done. Though the motives which govern me may to you naturally appear insufficient, I have not yet learnt to condemn them. And it's in that I have not yet learnt to condemn them. That's the rock that Mr. Darcy's going to turn his heel on. <laughs> and um, I think it's really revealing I think this letter is incredibly revealing. I think you're exactly right to say that it is in the tone of an incredibly agitated man who thinks that he spent the night like calming his agitation to lay out his mathematical, totally unassailable, obviously unbiased observations. Like he's just like <laughs> he's just been spoiling for a fight. And I think like this letter is so good at showing all of that. It's so good at showing the agitation. It's so good at showing that he still doesn't yeah. understand the consequence and stakes of class. It's really good at showing that he understands like a woman's reputation, which is why none of the stuff about Wickham has come out. But also he doesn't understand yet what having a predator on the loose means for women. I mean, I th- I th- a predator on the loose is interesting. Georgiana was f- 15. Even in Jane Austen time, that real young. Yeah. I guess like on the loose. His reputation hasn't been shattered enough that he isn't accepted in places. Like everywhere in Meriton is like Wickham's the best. Darcy fucking sucks. Yeah. Like there isn't a whisper campaign about what Wickham attempted to do with Georgiana. At least not with the classes that he's mingling with as a... But none of them, because Darcy and Fitzwilliam hushed it all up. They haven't said anything about Wickham's behavior to anyone. The the state, the like, pain point Darcy seems most blind to is, like you said um, at earlier, which is, it's important. It's really important that some of these daughters marry well. Like, that's life and death. And Darcy does understand, like, a reputation versus a woman's reputation more so than he does, like, actual, tangible, like, everyday lived stuff. I think as far as, like, the his understanding or perception of his responsibility for Wickham's behavior as, like, a a predator. I don't know if that's going to come. I don't know if those chickens are going to come home to roost or I'm just like over anticipating. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I found that chapter to be tedious, but I also imagine it would be incredibly tedious to read that letter IRL. <laughs> uh, what's crazy to me about this letter is that there are no paragraph breaks. 
at least in my edition. Yeah, it's just one giant chunk. Mine is also like equal justified, so it's just a block of text on the page. Same. You did a really good job reading that. There's just like, and like you put in wonderful inflections, and I was like, this would be like, you're right, tedious to read as like Lizzie, but also it's like, this is just so much fucking text coming at you. It's like someone. Just like, it's like getting a text in the middle of the night or like when you're trying to go to bed and it's like literally just your whole screen. Oh my God. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not what this is for. And that's what this is. That's exactly what this is like. You know, I was kind of like hesitant. I was like, I don't know if he's actually spoiling for a fight. I think he thinks he has the final word, but no, you're right. (laughs) This is, this is spoiling for, like he wants her... He's giving it to her as a letter because he wants to create an illusion for himself that he doesn't care what her reaction is. But in fact, he's just protecting himself from her reaction. Correct. It's funny, my internet cut out a little bit, so it sounds like you just said erect. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was definitely a little bit erect when he was writing this because he's like so hot for Lizzie and so mad at her, but also like... So hot, so mad. Listen, this isn't Rochester, okay? <laughs> I think Darcy keeps his it keeps his good fe- has a good feelings box and a bad feelings box. I don't know. Uh, and never the twain mm, shall meet. This letter suggests that those boxes are nestled pretty close. Where, where does it where does it suggest that for you? So for me personally, like the stuff about Wickham is pretty intense, um, and it gets weirdly vague about like the abuses. So that would be like a tick in your box, right? About good and bad being separate. But where does it? Okay. Yeah. Where's where's some? Where does he seem to be enjoying like finding like something like romantic pleasure in this? Uh, You must therefore pardon the freedom with which I demand your attention, your feelings. I know will bestow it unwillingly, but I demand it of your justice. Uh, maybe it's just the way that you read it, but uh, it felt strangely erotic. I, oh, gosh, uh, that he should. <laughs> my flirty nature. <laughs> my flirt. The fact that I'm a flirty birdie obfuscates the meaning of the text yet again. If in the explanation of them, which is due to myself, I am under the necessity of relating feelings which may be offensive to yours, I can only say that I am sorry. The necessity must be obeyed, and further apology would be absurd. Listen, just because my boxes are nestled doesn't mean Darcy's boxes are nestled. Just because I'm enjoying getting reproached. I feel like he is enjoying the reproaching in his non-apology. Yeah, I mean, like, I can kind of see it. Like, it's kind of like the first time he's kind of let loose. Mm-hmm. Verbally. Yeah, maybe maybe his, maybe his, they're not so different. Rochester and Darcy. Yeah, I mean, this is the most... This is the most Rochester-y he's ever been. I also love that end. I shall endeavor to find some opportunity of putting this letter in your hands in the course of the morning, period. I will only add, <laughs> comma... God bless you. God bless you. I mean, he's not sleeping. He's not sleeping outside her door, but he is lurking in the park. He knows she likes to walk around in. Lurking in the park. I don't know. Sleeping outside someone's door is something that is, first of all, afforded Rochester by the fact of like his trans, the like overall transgressiveness of 
his relationship with Jane Eyre because she's his employee and <laughs> yep. significantly younger than him and like all the things. But yeah, I mean, like, if you don't have to transgress like that, maybe you would just stand in a wood. Not even a wood. A public park. <laughs> Near a lane. Waiting. <laughs> under, a sh- under a shade tree. <laughs> you, it's not even a public park. It's your Listen. aunt's park that is open to the public. If you don't have to dive in a shark cage, why wouldn't you just float on an inner tube? That's a good point that you're making. Also, he's it like has never occurred to him that there are shark cages, right? Like that's just not the mode <laughs> under which Darcy operates. Well, well, I mean, he did have his 15-year-old sister almost elope because her like through a conspiracy of his childhood best friend turned nemesis and her companion her professional companion of some sort yeah in ramsgate no less in ramsgate (laughs) couldn't even be in london couldn't even be in town (laughs) the cincinnati of england (laughs) is definitely the cincinnati it's offensive to him on more than one level um what I'm saying is that Darcy's never going to get very unhinged because I don't think he has like a, a a real interest in flirting with those transgressive spaces inside of himself or inside of society. He's never going to dress up as like a fortune teller. Whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what Darcy is doing here is like unhinged for him yeah it's true this book takes that seriously and even in its seriousness is showing us spaces where darcy is still wrong and i think like it's so elegant and it's so smart and it's also like i found it deeply enjoyable i thought this letter was hilarious and your reading of it a revelation (laughs) i you know what's interesting he feels like he is being he understands his profession of love to Elizabeth to be, like, the coolest thing he's ever done. Totally. It's the most transgressive thing he's ever done. It's the most punk rock thing he's ever done. Exactly. He's, like, the bravest boy. Yeah. Likewise, Rochester's profession of love, even his, like, base affection for Jane Eyre, he feels, like, the most alive. Like... Right? Like, we talked about how he's going to start wearing, like, guy liner because he saw she drew goth stuff. And he's like, I too dabble in (laughs) darkness, right? And it's like, you know, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl comes along as a, or is identified as a trope. But it feels like women were already writing about being made a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And how fucking lame it is. I think that's really right. I think Rochester even calls Jane a pixie all the time. All the time. His little fae, his little fairy, and like they call each other mystic beings, and hers are mm-hmm. always dark, like the guy trash. <laughs> um, Their like loins are oceans. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think you're right to say that like, The first instance we get of Darcy turning Lizzie into a manic pixie dream girl is he's like, well, you don't really like Hertfordshire, do you? And she's like, of course I do. 
And he's like, well, she's not that far from her family. And, he, and Lizzie's like, it's 50 miles. And he's like, 50 miles on a good horse is two days. And and her reaction really takes him by surprise. Yeah. Also, her, like, playing piano, like, he's weirdly insistent that she's not that bad. Yeah. And she's like, no, I am. Like, he wants her to be good at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe she's actually good at it. But I think I think the other thing is true. It's crazy that Jane Austen's writing. Anyway, super long time. And um, that these, that watching a man watch his projection of what he thought you were is still like so present and still so like irritating that he is upset that you aren't what he thought you were. And it's like Lizzie had no over, no control over that. And that's the other word that I really, between chapter 34 and 35, where she's like, I'm sorry, I, you know, that I made you love me. It was unconsciously done. And like he says it in this letter too, like, I know this was all unconscious for you. Like, I, you're just like, I'm like a moth to the flame. And I think you're right to associate that with like the manic pixie dream girl. Like there's something kinetic and like almost faded about it. But like what is missed then in faded mates is that there's usually this, this kind of letter, this like yeah. awakening to you aren't who I thought you were. And I don't like that. And f- that never happens in faded mates. <laughs> No. Well, there's also something about like, not only is he, not only is the person he's trying to make, he's trying to believe she is, right? Part of that identity has to be transgressive to his values or like whatever he thinks his values are. Like he has to believe that he's being um, very edgy in wanting her, you know? Like, he's being very different. Kinder to Bingley by separating him from all from Jane for all the reasons that he can't separate himself from Elizabeth. Exactly. Like, it has to be transgressive. It sucks. It's fascinating to me that this is so old and still so evergreen. Which also explains its popularity. And it happened in both Air and Pride and Prejudice. It's because men actually do it all the fucking time. <laughs> All the f- and they like, they've clearly been doing it since the beginning. Yeah, they didn't just decide <laughs> edgy girls were cute because they make them feel better for some reason, or like what they perceive to be edgy. I think we really covered it. Thank you for reading this incredibly long and strange letter slash screed. Well, thank you for listening, and thank you for listening, <laughs> and remember. Loosen your prejudices. And your prides. (laughs) Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonsack. They're the best. 
You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womans and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womanspodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.